in a city that never sleeps. Legal issues can't wait. Michael Cohan and his tech-savvy team of lawyers are here to separate the signal from the noise and solve problems for every New Yorker in the hustle. This is Hustle and Law. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Hustle and Law podcast. Today's guest, we got Josh Citadino, name partner at the Sam Venero and Citadino Law Firm. How you doing today, Josh? All's good, man. Thanks for having us. Can't wait to chop it up on here, man. Long time no see, brother. Well, you're a former New Yorker. Now you're from Jersey. So you got to give us a good, how you doing? Give us a New Jersey, how you doing? How you doing? <laughs> oh, man. Move to Jersey, become more Italian, just to let you know. Oh, so the, the Italian Jersey is different from the uh, Long Island Jersey, I guess. It's close. It's close. But it just, it just more emphasis on the whole Italian thing. You know? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I really want to talk about your roots and what motivates you. So you have a great story. You didn't start as a lawyer. You didn't come out of college saying, hey, I wanted to go to law school. Give us some background. You were a college athlete. How does that play into your career now? Yeah. So grew up in uh, Baldwin, Long Island, Nassau County, young lacrosse player, a multitude of sports growing up, but really wanted to go to college to be a lacrosse player. Everybody on Long Island plays lacrosse. It's, you know, it's one of those things, right? And what happened was is that I went off to SUNY Cortland and had a good career. And ultimately my goal was to one day, I'm going to be a lawyer. I had an uncle that was a lawyer. He was a big, big shot, you know, white shoe firm at Struck Struck in Levan in Manhattan. You know, I think one day he whispered in my ear, I make a million dollars a year. And from that point on, I was like, oh, I got to go to law school. Right. And then never really pursued my legal dream like most lawyers. Right. I probably should have been a little bit more diligent in class, paid attention a little bit more. No, I focused on lacrosse. I focused on having a good time. Right. Good motivation for the younger guys out there listening. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, listen, I mean, they say the A students become the professors, the B students become the white shoe guys, and the C students are the ones that make it and start their own businesses and become the millionaires. So hopefully it falls in line there. But yeah, no, I went to college, I played sports, realized that, hey, you know, uh, I got to get a job now. I started working in the union with my father, building Broadway sets in Manhattan. I worked at Lincoln Center for about 10 years. We worked in a welding department. We built all the scenery for the opera. And I realized it just wasn't as tough as my father. You know, I said, he's a hard-nosed Vietnam vet. He didn't graduate high school. All he could do was work with his hands. So this is the career that he found. A lot of men like our age, you know, mid to late 30s, 20s, we grew up into sports, wanted to be an athlete. I'm sure at some point you wanted to be a sports agent, right? <laughs> you want that flashy, sexy job. And then sometimes it's not in the cards or it's not the path you choose. But how do you think that those skill sets, growing up playing sports, growing up being competitive, allow you to be successful as now a law firm, a partner and an owner at a law firm? Yeah, well, I think that when I interview people, one of like the main questions I ask is, have you ever played team sports? There's a mentality about being a team player that I understand about someone. And as an athlete, you'll know, hey, what is the dedication and disciplines that you've went through to become an athlete, especially a college athlete, regardless of division one, two, or three, your focus and your goal as a team is one thing. And then your disciplines as an individual is another. And I think that really helps set me aside as an attorney, right? More hustle, more dedication, the late nights, early mornings. It doesn't bother me because I know that there's a bigger goal at the end of the day. You know, how do we get to that championship, right? And I think sports is like crucial essentially for the survival of myself as an individual, as a lawyer. So you brought up the word championship, which I think is interesting. 
what was the championship for you or what is the championship for you in your legal career? Was it, you know, going off on your own and starting your practice? Was it passing the bar? You know, what's your level of championship? You know, listen, as a young attorney, you have different goals. You start by getting into law school, then you get through law school, then you have to pass the bar, whatever states you're trying to practice in. And then you do however many years before you have enough guts and clientele to open up your own practice. Now, my goals as an attorney is A, provide culture that people want to work for my law firm, right? I want to be surrounded by great people and then just keep on expanding and keep on getting from state to state, industry to industry until I'm able to pretty much step back and follow my dreams, which is to get back into sports. So ultimately, my goal is to have a self-running machine as a firm, as a total, right? And have different partners in place to run their division, the civil litigation division, the PI division, the wills, trust in the states, the criminal, the family law. And then let me step back. And now, because I never had that opportunity to be the agent in the NFL, to now redirect my passions towards sports and entertainment. Culture is important. So was there a lack of culture in a previous job that you had that made you want to create a culture of your law firm? Yeah, all of them, all of them. The law firm culture. <laughs> yeah, all of them. Working to the ground, 100-hour weeks. People are coming up in law school and, and they're washing suits and they see these guys in the office till 2 a.m. and they think that's cool. You, you think that's changed? You think that culture's changed? No, no, it hasn't. But by the way, if you're a single individual, no family, no significant other, no children, you could do the 80-hour, 100-hour weeks and sleep under your desk and get things done, right? But you have to understand what is your goal as a lawyer? Do you want to stay in that white shoe firm and make partner, right? Which is the dream, right? Or do you want to build your clientele and formulate your own niche and then go out and start your own business, right? Maybe that's what you're looking for. Some people don't even have a dream. Some people just want to just be worker bees. There's a place for everybody. And I think as a business owner, I realize that not everybody has the same, you know, shoot for the moon, shoot for the stars, land on the moon, whatever the saying is. Some people just want to go to work and that's fine too, you know? It's interesting how you say business owner instead of law firm partner. Do you see yourself now as more of a business owner, even though you're a partner and a name partner at a law firm? Definitely business owner. I refer to all of my employees as colleagues. I think there's a level of respect there. I try to respect them, whether, you know, I was raised to treat the janitor like the CEO. Well, where I come from, everybody was the police officer, the blue collar guy. There were no CEOs by me. So, you know, talking to everybody with respect is just inherent in how I was raised. My father would probably beat me if I did it, right? And, <laughs> and now it makes me bond with my employees even better, right? Because I don't speak down to people. And I was spoken down to for many years by a lot of partners and law firms, whether they meant to do it or not. They have this aura about them and their superiority as an attorney. And I, I never wanted that, you know? It's an ego. It's an ego. It's an ego. And I don't know if you agree. In my opinion, I think that's another misconception about lawyers is that you have to be nasty and you have to be aggressive and you got to curse and be tough. And that's the only way to be successful. But from my experience, especially my mentors and me coming up in my career, I found that the best trial lawyers and the most successful lawyers were actually the kindest people in the room. Do you feel that way as well? I do. And I, like I said, I mentioned my uncle. My uncle was a very soft-spoken man. And you would ask him a question and I would be looking for an answer, but he would take 25, 
seconds of silence before he would respond. I'm like, Uncle Joe, come on, let's go, spit it out. I, I know you know the answer, but you could see his brain was processing and he wanted to say and articulate his answer in such a way that I guess came off in the right manner. And he was brilliant at doing that, right? It frustrated people, but you know, the art of negotiation, they say the calmness, right, is going to win you the argument, right? You don't have to be in someone's face screaming and yelling and cursing in order just to win an argument or a negotiation. You know, you really have to take a step back, take a deep breath and formulate what you're trying to get out there. Yeah, I think uh, you attract more bees with honey. And I think in a lot of situations, people don't understand that, especially in the courtroom, that your kindness is almost a form of persuasion. And if you're more endearing and you're charming, you might come off as more successful because people don't like being talked down to. They don't like being bullied, and especially this day and age. And I think it's important for younger guys or gals coming up to understand you don't have to be this mean, brute, you know, 100 hours sleeping under the desk person to be a successful lawyer. There are other ways to come up and be successful. You got to get work efficiency from your team. You got to be friendly and respectful to your team but you have to drive them, right? So where's the balance, right? How do I get the most out of them and tell them, listen, you don't have to stay to midnight, but if you have things that you have to get done, I urge you to figure out a way to get them done. Does that come down to finding the right people who are intrinsically motivated? Because it's very tough to change people and it's very tough to motivate people who aren't self-driven. I'm not trying to change people. I'm trying to play to people's strengths. I don't want to develop your weakness. You're 35 years old, you're 50 years old. Your weakness is always going to be your weakness. Let me cater to your strengths in my business and what can you be efficient at? And then let's give you that workload, right? Because I know you could turn things out and do a great job about it, right? I'm not trying to develop someone's weaknesses because I don't think that's the best way to be an efficient business owner, right? Regardless of what the business is. No matter what. No matter what. No matter what. And, and running a law firm is running a business. This is a business. Don't make a woodworker do electrical work. He's never going to be able to do it, you know, and vice versa. And when it comes to efficiency, how have you found that technology, particularly in your practice, has helped you be more efficient, more productive, more useful in your practice for your clients? Ever evolving, right? More technology comes out. How do you stay up to speed? You know, I have some older attorneys that work in my office that are not efficient with the technology. Right. So again, I have to cater to their strengths. I mean, we use a lot of systems, a lot of different technology sources, I guess, right, to help the law firm grow. And I think we're going to continue to add in more technology, right? The eyes of the world is a big topic of conversation, especially in the legal world. Are you going to use ChatGBT to write your brief? Probably not. But can you use ChatGBT to help you with simple letters? Maybe, right? Maybe that makes you more efficient. Hey, spit out a thousand word letter regarding this and this. And then at that point, maybe you can get more efficient with getting drafts out there. Still have to review them. You can't count on them. For sure. We were talking about the video. I just came back from the National Trial Lawyers Conference. It's a yearly conference for trial attorneys in Miami. And pretty much every presentation, every topic of discussion was AI, how it's going to change the industry. How do you use it to make your law firm more efficient? And in my opinion, if you're not going to start using it, you're going to fall behind just like the same way a lot of law firms fell behind during COVID because they wanted those paper files, right? And they didn't want to transition to digital files, case management, 
remote work, which is pretty much becoming ingrained in our culture. My office is in on 28th and Park. When I go to the city and I talk to people, they say Mondays and Fridays are empty in Manhattan because those are days that people are working from home, whereas Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays are packed. So I think the landscape has changed. The, the culture has kind of changed in the legal profession. And if you don't keep up, I think you're going to fall behind, 100%. Well, you work in Manhattan. That's the way that the culture is in Manhattan. There's no changing the, the Manhattan life, right? We're in the suburbs of New Jersey at the moment, and everybody's local. So everybody lives within 10, 12, 15 minutes. And when you run a smaller law firm, we have 15 people here at the firm. Is it more efficient for them to work from home? Sure. If you got to pick up a computer on a snow day, you work from home, right? Or you have nobody to watch your children. Okay, pick up the laptop. But we try to encourage people to come in only because we feel as if we want to keep that tight-knit culture and we want to be more efficient with work. But again, I think it depends on where you are in the world. You think your staff is happier working from home or not? <laughs> I think my staff tells me they'll be happier if they work from home. I don't know. I don't know the truth of that. You know, The problem is like, listen, if you got to get things done, can you get things done at home? And if you're an attorney, you could probably write briefs and prep and get things done at home. But if you're a staff of the attorney and you have to print a thousand copies of something and put together binders for trial, well, you can't do that at home, right? It's not going to happen. So now listen, we, we try to be open. We encourage people to come to work. If they have to work from home, we allow them. But um, How about you? Do, you? do you work from home? On need basis. But again, I'm the captain of the ship, right? So if I'm not here and something goes haywire, who are they turning to? I have partners as well that I lean on and for support and vice versa, but I like to be the boots on the ground. They see me working. They see me here. They are encouraged to be here. Well, if I'm here, you can type a thing. I have kids. I have family. You know, you have kids, you have family, we're on the same boat, right? So it's a balance, I think. What's your schedule like? Are you waking up early? Are you getting there early? Are you working out in the morning? What's going on? What's your interaction like with the employees when you get it in? Are, are you rah-rah? Are you getting them hyped up? Or are you kind of the laid back boss? And what do you find more effective in your workplace? I'm a laid back boss that gives high fives, right? I say good morning to everybody. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? <laughs> good, great. The Jersey, how you doing? Let's talk about the wife, the husband. Let's get on a personal level. Let's air out and vent if we have anything. Okay, cool. Let's crush the day. Again, sports mentality. I like to be the encouraging type of coach, right? I think that you get more. You said you get more with honey than you do with vinegar. So that's my mentality. My partner, we're a little yin and yang, right? So he's the other type of mindset. But again, no right and no wrong, just whether or not there's a balance in the office. Yeah. So with me, I find that leveling with people on a personal level, understanding their lives and their challenges, actually going back to what you said before, allows them to highlight their strengths. Because if I know what's going on outside of the workplace and I know kind of what their personality type is, I'll know how to drive them and help them succeed on a daily basis. And I think that's just how the culture has changed at law firms, where I, I think it used to be just drive people to the ground, beat them up, working 80 hours, you know, you're a loser. <laughs> you don't deserve that raise. And now it's more, you know, we're friends, we support each other. It's a more collegial environment I'm finding, and especially I'm trying to create with my culture. And I think it goes back to our roots, playing sports, being part of team, being competitive. Well, well Mike, let me ask a question. 
was the law firms that you worked for hard nose beat you into the ground type of places? I did. Yep. I worked at a place where when the boss walked in, <laughs> I'll be, I was not listening to this, but when the boss walked in, everybody panicked. Everybody panicked. And the question was, is he coming in today? Is he coming in? What is he doing? Is he checking his emails? Is he? And it just created this culture. The law firm was very successful. The partners were very successful. They did very well for themselves. And I'm not knocking it. I'm very happy for the experience that I had. I think it made me the lawyer and the person that I am today. But the last thing that I want is to call my employees or walk into an office and people say, oh my God, what's he going to be like today? What's his mood? Is he in a bad mood? Is he in a good mood? Is he going to make us do this? I think there's a level of consistency that you need. And going back to like your personal life and sports, I think that mental health, physical health, I think that all plays into it. I think getting up in the morning or, or whenever you work out, I like to do it in the morning. I'm up early, beat the kids, beat the kids. Because if you don't wake up before the kids, then you're a slave to them the whole day. Wake up early, get that workout in, get the plan in. Do you go to bed late too? I try to get to bed at 10. How about you? So I was up till 1.30 last night. Okay. Because of the kids or not because of the kids? By the time we decompress from the kids, my son doesn't like sleep. So by the time I get my, my two-year-old to bed at, at 9.30, then I go downstairs and check my emails and finalize some drafts of things and then maybe watch an episode of Suits to inspire me. <laughs> <laughs> get you motivated. Whatever the case may be, but I'm usually up by six trying to work out either in my basement or at the gym right now. And my wife is nine months pregnant. So I'm doing a lot more child care, drop off at daycare, pick up at daycare, which is kind of impeding on my morning workouts. You got to do what you have to do to take care of the family. So 100%. I think that that morning workout, it sets the tone, that level of focus. You know, you're able to focus a little bit of planning. If you could do it the night before, it's great. If not, then that morning, just kind of plan out what you want to achieve that day. Well, back to what you're saying, Mike, is like every experience taught me something, right? So a blessing, right? Blessing in disguise, maybe, but blessing. And I worked at one law firm where I saw 15 people get terminated in one year. It wasn't a big firm, but it was like they would walk over and put something on your desk and say, pack your bags, you're done. And I would be in the corner like this, you know, terrified. God forbid I spelled a word wrong in my email. And the last thing I ever wanted was to ever make anybody anxious or feel like I'm coming for them or anything like that. So I want people to come and be happy at work. And I want people to be inspired by something that I'm doing. And I'm not saying they should live how I live, but I feel sports, good vibes, championship mentality, hard work, dedication, but also positivity and uplifting. I feel like that is more of a recipe for success than beating somebody into the ground. But again, you know, you worked for a firm that was very successful. These guys were flying private jets all over the world, right? I think times have changed. I, I don't know if that's still the formula to get there at this point. And I think that the group's success has become on equal footing as your personal success. I like seeing my employees succeed. That is great news for me. That is great news because I know they're succeeding and that means that I'm succeeding in cultivating them to be successful. But yeah, 100%. But ultimately, it comes down to that motivation. So like what sparked you? What was that moment, if there was a moment that you said, I'm not working for anybody anymore. I'm going to go out on my own. I'm going to create my own thing. I think COVID played a big role. Just working for big firms that demanded unprecedented hours, especially when everybody was stuck at home. 
I don't know how it was. You, you were out on your own already, but I was working for a big firm in Manhattan. Respect and love for everybody there, right? But they still demanded a 2,700 hour billable for the year, which is like, you know, you're looking at 50, 60 hour weeks with no court. What's the calculation on that? Do some quick math. <laughs> 60 hour weeks billable, right? I mean, I was waking up in my mom's house in COVID because I left Astoria, Queens at that time. And I was hitting the computer and I was going from like 8 a.m. to midnight every night for six months straight. And I was like, I, I can't do this. And I was at home. And it's just because you couldn't turn over enough work to hit your 10 to 12 hour day minimum, which is what you had to hit. And if you didn't bill properly, then you didn't get the slight bump in your raise or your bonus. And I was like, you needed your bonus. You needed your raise. At that point, I pivoted and went in-house um, for like a local company thinking that I could use my experiences. The in-house job was great. In-house is a little different type of mentality though. It is a nine to five. It just so happens that a couple of comments were made to me while I was in-house and I was like, hmm, that didn't sit right. Got a little nervous, thought maybe I was getting set up to hold the bag running out of the bank. Listen, when your boss says to you, Donald Trump didn't go to jail, his lawyer went to jail. I'm like, I'm the lawyer. I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean? I'm the lawyer. Why are you setting me up to go to jail? Mike, let me tell you, I started sending emails to protect myself. I started printing things and started putting them into my jacket pocket on the way out of the office. I was like, I got to make sure that this doesn't come back on me. And I run a clean operation and try to be above board on everything, but mistakes happen. So after the in-house job, I, I teamed up with a guy I went to law school with and I said, listen, let's combine forces and let's do it. And I picked up and moved to Jersey from Long Island. So definitely a different change, but I, I knew that if I could create this environment, like you're talking about, if I could instill some sort of dedication and surround myself with the right people that I would be able to find the business and ultimately be able to build the practice that I'm proud of. And, you know, we're doing that every day. So I think a lot of things though have to happen in order to get to this position. I think a lot of things have to happen, but at the same time, I also think that there's no perfect time. I don't think that the stars are ever going to align for you to say, Hey, I'm going to go start my own practice. I want to do it my way. I think that you're going to have to take a risk at a point in your life where there's some sort of adversity and decide for yourself whether you are going to push to overcome that adversity or you're going to sit back and be complacent. And for me, in a similar situation, I decided that no matter what the adversity was, nothing could make me go back and be that complacent anymore. And to create your own environment, that team culture to support others and their success and growth that was the culture that I wanted to create. And I think it's important that we dispel this notion that law firms are these big lawyers and big law firms are these big, big, bad, angry people because they're not. They're successful guys and girls who are kind, smart, endearing, extremely charming, and they're having a lot of success in this world. And it's possible for anybody out there. And they have a personal life. And they have a personal life. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, how do you dispel this big, bad, wolf-like law firm practice, right? I think the persona out there is that it's always going to be like that. But guys like you and I, we could eventually grow our firms to be 
bigger firms, if that's what our goals are. Let me get to the Morgan and Morgan, the Salino and Barnes, you know, with the jingle. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's all about the jingle. It's all about the jingle. And try to get there. But again, still, it doesn't matter if I employ five people, two people, or 500 people. I still want to be that guy on the stage with the mic, uplifting people, hooting and hollering about, like, hey, let's do this as a team. You know, teamwork makes the dream work type mentality. For sure. And so Salino and Barnes had a horrible split. It's all public record, nothing to be said about it. How do you ensure that your partners are on the same page as you? Yeah, I think that's the hardest part of it all, right? Because my partners didn't have my experiences that got me to my mentality, right? So my business partner worked for nice people, I guess, you know, I didn't, right? So he didn't understand that the, hey, in your face mentality is not the best way to get workers to work for you. And uh, an employee will quit like this and just leave. And that work still has to get done. So now you have to replace that worker, right? And you know the, the crazy thing is, is, I don't know if you look at it like this, if I have an employee that wants a $5,000 raise, well, if I'm going to be hard nose and I'm going to negotiate them down and penny pinch them and only give them a $3,500 raise and they resent me, they're going to resent me forever. Then they're going to quit on me, not give me any notice. And then I'm going to pay a guy more money anyway to come in, train them, learn the six months and then give them more money anyway. So it's like, let's step back and not be a lawyer, hard-nosed guy. Let's be a smart businessman that's understanding of what your employee needs in order for them to survive to help you grow your business, right? So I don't want to lose six months of training, have to pay more money anyway, and have someone resent me. And even if they don't leave, it's going to reflect on their work. They're not going to take that extra step. They're not going to do that extra task or make that extra phone call. And, you know, I'm not saying that you got to meet everybody's demands all the time, but you have to be reasonable. And, and it goes back to kind of understanding your employees, understanding your colleagues, understanding their personal situations. Maybe something's going on. Maybe, God forbid, they have a health issue. Maybe they have a spousal issue that they need that extra couple dollars. And I've found that leveling and reasoning with people has gone much further and produced a better work product for my office than actually talking down to them. Deal with partners though is bigger egos, maybe different issues, right? So, hey, this is what our overall game plan is. How do we get there? And even if we disagree on certain things, like I'll give up the battle to win the war essentially. So I don't need to win every argument with my partners about how I think we should move forwards. I'm okay with them making decisions, even if it's not what I ultimately want, because I know that we're doing it for the greater good. And do you think that because you do that, their ego is in check or they are more likely to no. be able to- <laughs> oh, No, I think no? That they okay. feel that they, they, they want one. And I'm like, all right, listen, if that's what makes you happy, then by all means, you know, let, stack up the W's in your win column. That's not what the goal is here. The goal is teamwork makes the dream work. Grow the firm, make more money, be more profitable buy more assets. How are we going to get to the place from renting office space to owning a building, right? How are we going to get from 15 employees to 50, 50 to 100? How are we going to grow our profit margins and collect more? You know, nobody talks about collections, by the way, as a law firm. What a crazy experience it's been owning a law firm. It, you think that everybody's trying wants- to get paid. <laughs> yeah. You think everybody wants to pay the lawyers? No, they don't. <laughs> they definitely don't. Quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. 
different areas of being a business owner is, you know, you don't think of when you're a lawyer. Have you hired a business coach or considered hiring a business coach? I'm in a lot of professional networking groups. A lot of men and women in the groups are coaches and, and I, I talk to them often. I haven't directly hired one specifically for a law firm, but I definitely do speak with other people to try to understand how they got to where they are. We're sitting here 10 years from now, having a conversation. Where would you like to see yourself? Retired. <laughs> okay. No. Um, where would you like to see your firm? I would love to see an office in Manhattan, not run by me, run by somebody else. I would love to run our office based out of Florida. I would like to have multiple offices. I would like to grow our space. You know, I'm hoping that at that point I could grow what I'm more passionate about more down the entertainment world, just because I like to do that work more often. I love to work with businesses. I love to work with athletes, entertainers. You know, I'm hoping in the next 10 years, office grows, culture grows, people start to know us more and we could spread more across, you know, the areas and states that we practice in. Yeah. One, one thing I think that for younger lawyers or people coming out of law school, deciding what they want to do with, with their careers, which I didn't know because it was confusing times back then. And I don't think there were as many resources for attorneys to run businesses at those times in 2011, I graduated law school is defined goal setting is really sit down, define your goals, where you want to be and the action steps that it's going to take to get there. Because if you don't have goals, you're just kind of pissing in the wind. Oh, I'm going to work somewhere. I'm going to make some money. I'm going to go to this happy hour. I'm going to, you know, win that motion. And then what? When you, before you started your practice, did you work in your field in law school? Because I tell this to people all the time. I wanted to be an agent, but my first 1L year, I clerked with a judge. Great experience. Didn't help me become an agent. My 2L year, I went to Italy for the summer. Didn't learn a thing, even though Justice Scalia was my professor. Barely paid attention. That's, you know, foolish of me, but I wanted to enjoy Italy. And then my 3L year, I was like, crap, I need a job. And I had to take the first job that was given to me, essentially. Otherwise, I would have been stuck in sales, <laughs> right? You know, that's what we met. Yeah, for sure. I did not. Actually, going back to my senior year of college, I wrote a letter to Drew Rosenhaus. You know who Drew Rosenhaus He's a very famous NFL agent, like a three-page love letter. I read his book and I was like, I want to be an agent. I want to represent all these NFL guys. And I ended the letter like, listen, if you ask me to clean your toilets, I will clean your toilets, whatever you want me to do. <laughs> and he actually emailed me back. And I still have the email to this day. And he was like, go to law school, work hard, figure out what you want to do. And with that type of work, find a client and call me. Yeah. Fine. Yeah, exactly. Sign up the next Patrick Mahomes and get me on the phone. Here's myself. They also don't teach you that when starting law either. They don't tell you that, listen, no matter what you want to do, you're only as good as what you could bring to the table. If you're the Harvard kid and you work for the big white shoe firm, great. Right. But if you're the C student kid who's got the hundred million dollar client, then it doesn't matter. I can walk in anywhere with my clientele and I get say, listen, this is the salary I demand. This is the bonuses I demand. Whether they give it to you or not, maybe, but if you have the clientele base, you could dictate your terms. And I didn't know that until later on. I said, wow, I got I to gotta build relationships. I got to network. 
If I want to be an agent, I got to have 50 scouts ready to go to talk to about who the up and coming basketball players are who are projected to go number one in the NBA draft, right? So same thing with PI, right? With business, family law, what industry are you plugged into to build clientele and you can have that revenue share, right? And if you're not plugged into an industry, then you treat your clients at your practice the same way that you would have treated your dream clients when you were a kid. So if I wanted to represent Tom Brady, and if Tom Brady was my client and I would do anything for him, I would clean his toilets, I would get his coffee. That is the same way that I treat my current clients. Guy comes to me, says, I was in an accident, I'm really banged up. That is my baby, that is my child. All my clients are my children, even though most of them are older than I am. <laughs> and I dictate that mentality and mindset to my staff because that's what gets you that $100 million client. You wanna represent $100 million clients? You're not gonna get that graduated from law school and taking the six train down to the financial district to sit in an office for 100 hours. You gotta build relationships, you gotta build your personal and professional network, and you gotta treat your clients like gold. It is your duty by being a lawyer from the Bar Association, right? So you have a fiduciary duty to your clients, and is your duty as a business owner to treat your clients like gold. And if you do that, those $100 million clients are guaranteed to walk into your door. It's funny you say that, you know, a very top-down approach based on what you believe, right? I had one of my colleagues, she answered the phone and she was like, what? Or hello. I was like, what if I was a client? You didn't know. Hi, nice to meet you. How's everything going? Welcome to San Venero and Citadino. What can I do for you today? I'm like, guys, listen, we are a service industry. Like we are the same thing as people serving your food taking care of you. We have to make people love us and we charge a lot of money. So if they're going to pay us a lot of money and trust in us with very important matters of their life, like we need to give them the warm and fuzzy feeling that, yes, we will die for you on the battlefield, in the courtroom, whatever the case may be. And that's what we're here for. And I try to deal with all my clients. They are a number to your employees, but to them, their case is everything. So your employees need to understand that every client's case is everything to them, whether it's a family issue, an injury, a contract, they are not sleeping at night because that issue is not resolved and it's your job to resolve it for them. I'll tell you a funny story. My old firm, I used to travel and do depositions and trials, motion arguments all over the country. I used, always used to call into reception and pretend that I was some guy that hit a deer on the road. And I was like, hey, I got, just got hit by a deer on the highway. I'd like to bring a, a lawsuit against the deer just to see what people's, are they still giving customer service? Are my paralegals still giving good customer service? Even though, you know, this person is calling with this funny issue, it doesn't matter. You treat the, the worst cases, the best cases. You know, I believe that there are no bad cases, but you treat every client the same. You treat them like gold and you're going to get that $100 million client. And you know what? The most important thing about it is, you know, on the other side, if you look at it from business mentality, right, you run a, a successful practice, which is geared towards personal injury related matters, right? We run more of a general practice. Well, my partner does divorce. We do real estate and I do business law. Well, if we do a good job with one area, they're going to tell their friends or their cousins or their mothers or their fathers, right? And all it takes is for them to give one referral and that spider webs to 50, oh, this guy was great. His partner is actually a trademark attorney. He could help you. Or 
oh yes, he has a cannabis practice or whatever the case may be, right? I know a guy who was starting this. Can I send him your way? Yes, of course. That's the whole point. Build relationships. Do the best job you can do possibly. Try to win in, at all costs, right? And then your referral base is going to grow. That's when you know you're doing a good job as a business owner or as an attorney. Because if you turn off one person, they're going to say, screw this guy. Zero stars on Google review. You know, I've had some bad stars. It's not, it's not great. You want to then reach back out and say, hey, I don't know what happened. Sorry if I dropped the ball, but I'm doing everything I can to make it right. I'm still here for you in any way possible. That's what I try to do as well. Josh, I think that's a good way to end it. Uh, great talking to you. It's been a pleasure. And this was a lot of fun. Mike, thank you very much, man. I'll be back. Until next time, New York, keep hustling. And we'll be right here to keep you one step ahead. Ready to talk to a lawyer today? Find us in the five boroughs at cohanlegal.com. <laughs>